I am so grateful for the opportunity to be with you today to worship in word and sacrament. Uh, back in December, Sarah asked if I would run an errand for her, and I complied. I ran into your elder, Bryant Taylor. He said, would you be interested in preaching? In August, I said, of course. There may be a lesson for us husbands, but that's best reserved uh, for another day. So we're going to read in just a moment from the Gospel according to Mark. So please open your copies of the Scriptures or swipe your screen or whatever you do to access the Bible. And in just a moment, I'll read for us from Mark 7, chapter 10, beginning at verse 17 through verse 31. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are a member of a church, not this church, some other church, and you are out in front of the building and you notice a late model, very expensive sports car pull up to the curb. Out comes a man, he is dressed in a made-to-measure suit. You know this man, he is a very successful businessman in town. He is also from one of the first families of the community. He is connected in government, in business, in everything. And you're surprised. Why has he come to my church this day? He's not a member. And so you ask him, well, what brings you here? And he says, I want to join your church. And I'm about to meet with your leadership. Oh, and your, your mind begins to whirl. You start to think of all the line items in the budget that are lacking, and you begin to think of all his friends he'll invite to church and the possibilities. And so you're waiting for him to come out, and he comes out, but his, his head is low. He's clearly disappointed. And, and you say, what's wrong? What happened? He said, well... I wanted to become a member, but after the leadership asked me a few questions, they said no. And he drives off. Well, that would be a little of what the disciples were experiencing as this rich young ruler walked away from Jesus that day on the road to Jerusalem. They had to have been thinking, what in the world? is Jesus Christ up to? And that's a good question. And it's one that he'll answer for us in the scripture. So give thought to that as we read. And before we read, let's ask the Lord's help in prayer. Our great God, our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We ask that its light would shine into our hearts May it dispel any darkness that is found there and help us to see in that light, your light, in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now God's word beginning at Mark chapter 10 at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, 
Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, infallible, an inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Jesus is making his way from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. Jesus has now twice predicted to his disciples he will soon do it a third time. This is no pleasure trip, but he's going into the lion's den. He will be betrayed by one of his 12 disciples. He will be arrested. He will be tried. He will be beaten. He will be condemned. And he will be subjected to a violent and painful death, hung like a common criminal on a Roman cross, cursed in the eyes of God's people. And then he will rise from the dead. 
And so as Jesus gets closer to Jerusalem, the shadow of the cross looms. And as Jesus is making his way, his his mind surely filled with these solemn realities that await him. A man, we're told in verse 17, he runs up. And he approaches Jesus with the utmost respect. You'll notice the scripture says he knelt down and he called him good teacher. He's a mannered man. Who is this man? We know him as the rich young ruler. Mark tells us that he's rich. Matthew tells us he's a young man. And Luke will tell us he's a ruler, that is, a leader in the Jewish synagogue, meaning he's a pious man. He's a respected man. And the disciples who have faced a cascade of setbacks and disappointments saw this, I have little doubt, as an opportunity dropped from heaven. Maybe now, They're thinking to themselves, our fortunes are reversed. Here is a man from the very leadership which has been relentlessly hounding and persecuting Jesus Christ for these three years. And he has knelt before Jesus Christ. And he has addressed him respectfully. Maybe he will join our band. But Jesus is circumspect. He begins to ask the man a few questions. And the man leaves of his own accord. He will not enter the kingdom of God, at least not on that day. And then Jesus turns to his disciples. He has to know that they are confused about what has just happened. And he tells them in verse 23 how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Well, that leaves the disciples amazed. And as Jesus continues to talk to them, they ask a question which is astounding. Look at verse 26. Then who can be saved? These men who had been with Jesus Christ for all of these years, had heard him teach and work miracles and preach the gospel, are now so turned upside down, they ask Jesus Christ the most basic question they could ask. Well, then who can be saved? We thought we knew the answer. We're not so sure now. And that's what Jesus does. He gets inside you and he turns you upside down and inside out. So what is it Jesus wants us, you and me, to learn from this exchange he had with this rich young ruler? Where did this man go wrong? We can see two things, two areas where this rich young ruler went wrong. He did not understand himself rightly. He did not understand God rightly. Now let's look at each of those. In the first place, he didn't understand himself. 
How so? Well, look at how he approaches Jesus. He comes filled with self-confidence. He asks Jesus in verse 17, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants eternal life. That's a good thing. And he assumes there is something that he will have to do in order to get it. Now, this is a man of privilege. He's accomplished. It's often that way with people who are successful, with people who come from privileged backgrounds. Just tell me to whom I write the check. How much will it cost me? What do I need to do to get what I want? And when Jesus tells him, he doesn't back down. Verse 19, he says, I've done that. All these have I kept from my youth, verse 20. He's a man full of self-confidence. But he's also a man who is self-deceived. Now, the man, I am sure, is polite. He, he is earnest. We've no reason to think he's trying to test or trick Jesus Christ. But he is self-deceived. And what Jesus is going to do is show him how he is self-deceived. And did you notice in verse 21, Jesus does this in love. This is not a predator toying with its prey before he comes in for the kill. What Jesus Christ does is hard, but it is for this man's everlasting good. And so what does he do? He, he takes him, did you notice, to the law of God. He takes him to the law of God because that is God's mirror to the human soul. The law of God will show you who you really are. The law of God will show you what you will not see when we're blinded by sin. Years ago, when we lived in North Carolina, I would preach now and then for a church in Newburn on the Atlantic coast. There was a man in that church who ran a company, and the company would go into homes that had been flooded. And the job of the company was to make the home back to where it was before. And he, he showed me or was telling me about a device that he used in his work. It was a, it was a special flashlight, not, not one that you would buy at the drugstore, but a, a special flashlight. And it would cast a beam of light on a white wall. And it would show if there were mold or mildew behind that wall. The wall would look white to the naked eye, but that light would expose the mold, the mildew, behind that wall that needed to be cleaned up. And that's exactly what God's law does. And so look at how Jesus brings this man to the law of God. He, he begins to list the commandments of God. You see them in verse 19. There's the sixth commandment, do not murder. There's the seventh, do not commit adultery. There's the eighth, do not steal. Later, do not defraud. There's the ninth, do not bear false witness. There's the fifth, honor your father and mother. And the man just goes down the list. Done it, done it, done it. 
And did you notice what Jesus didn't say? He did not mention the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. He did not mention the first table of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, did Jesus just forget? Of course not. He is trying to help this man see something that he must see about his soul before he leaves this world. And Jesus is going to help him see it in the form of a test. Look at verse 21. He looked at him. He loved him. He said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You see what Jesus is doing. He says, let's find out here and now what you love most in this world. Is it the Lord God of Israel, or is it your stuff? And the way we're going to find out what you love most is not by asking you the question, what do you love most? Because I know what you'll say. We're going to put it to a test. Will you give up your things, your money, for God? When the Son of God, God in the flesh, stands before you and says, forsake these things and come follow me, now we'll find out what you love most. That's how you know what you love most. You'll give up anything, but you won't give up that. And, and the man must struggle. His response is not instinctive. We're, we're told he was, verse 22, disheartened. And he walked away sorrowful. And in the end, he wasn't going to leave his money. He loved it too much. And what Jesus did for him was to show him, friend, you are not the pillar of piety. You thought you were. You, you want to stand before a holy God? and claim eternal life on the basis of your record? Don't you see that you can't do that? So he didn't understand himself. How does this apply to us? What Jesus is showing this man, lodged deep in his heart and soul, is lodged in the heart of every human being apart from the grace of God. This is not a disease that you catch like a virus or bacteria. It's not cancer. But we're born with this condition. There is no known human cure. And left to itself, it will destroy you eternally. And the symptoms are these. I will look over my life. I may not be the most perfect person, but I've done enough. I'm good enough. And I think I can stand before God in His throne of judgment on the last day and say, give me life. 
And you see Jesus Christ burst into this man's life and said, friend, your good enough is not good enough. And he was bidding him trust him, not himself. That's where Jesus Christ was going. So what about you? Where does your trust lie this morning? I know what many of us would say to each other if that question were put to us. But where is your trust? On what are you leaning? Is it Jesus Christ? Is your prayer nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling? What about this demand to forsake riches? Well, what are we to make of that? Is, is Jesus saying that it's, it's wrong to have cars and houses and clothes? If you're going to be his disciple, you have to commit yourself to a life of utter poverty? Now, what Jesus is saying to this man is you have made a God of your money. And your money is sitting in the place where God needs to be in your life. And you need to tear that idol down. And you need to put God in his right place. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. And for some of us, it may be money. But it may be other things. Maybe we're, we're involved in relationships or a job where we've, we've made compromises. We're not honoring the Lord. Maybe that we've given in to unbridled anger and we don't see the need to restrain it. They could be otherwise innocent pastimes, social media, sports. Let the imagination run. But Jesus Christ says, if you're going to come to me, you need to dethrone anything that would rival God's place. And if you have come to him, Jesus says, I don't want those things perched next to me. I want all of you. I want you to love me first and walk with me first. Well, that brings us to the second thing. Jesus not only exposes this man's failure to understand himself, but he doesn't understand God either. And what does Jesus want to impress about the character of God? Two things. He says in the first place, God is uncompromisingly holy. You know, the man addresses Jesus politely. Good teacher, he says. And Jesus' reply is bracing. Verse 18, why do you call me good? First word out of the man's mouth, and Jesus jumps on it. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus isn't saying, well, look, I'm a sinner just like you. But he's saying, friend, do you understand what goodness is? That you would just casually 
apply that label to someone you barely know? Do you understand goodness? Do, do you understand uprightness? Do you understand holiness? Do you understand how holy and pure God is? Because you certainly don't seem to understand how sinful we are. And as he takes him to the law of God, he wants to show him, let, let, me, let me make clear to you how holy this God is, how upright he is. There's a wider distance between you and this God than you know. And who is Jesus to say this? Well, he's the Son of God. He is in the bosom of the Father. He, he knows the Father through and through. He's everlasting God. And Jesus says, friend, you don't, you don't understand the God you're talking about. But then there's another thing the man didn't get. God is uncompromisingly holy. He is astonishingly gracious. Sadly, the man left. He chose to leave before he got that lesson. If he had stayed, he would have got it. But this comes to the disciples. They are, they are amazed. And Jesus says to them how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they go from being amazed to exceedingly astonished. They are more unsettled than they were before. And they cry out, who can be saved? Jesus, this man is the finest specimen of humanity. He is moral. He is disciplined. He is in your covenant people. And Jesus says, with man... It is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. That, that's not a slogan to put on a bumper sticker. That is a precious truth to hold to and never let go. It is God who saves. You don't work to enter the kingdom of God. You don't earn or claim anything from God. He gives it to the unworthy. Why is it so hard for the wealthy? Because they are sorely tempted, Jesus says, to put trust in themselves, their abilities, their things. And that's not how you get the kingdom. You enter it like a child, humble, dependent. And then Peter talks. And you know when Peter starts to talk, it's probably going to be wrong. Not always, but probably. And you also know if I had been there, I probably would have said the same thing, or I would have been thinking the same thing. And you can see Peter's hand going up. See. We have left everything and followed you. This man didn't, but we have. And, you know, Jesus doesn't correct him. They did leave a lot. 
They left a successful business to follow Jesus Christ. They suffered a lot to walk with him. But Peter's not getting it. And so, so Jesus circles back. He says, whatever you give up for my sake and for the gospel, you'll receive a hundredfold now. In this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. What, what's Jesus saying? Friends, don't, don't press Jesus literally here. I love my mother dearly. What would I do with a hundred mothers? That's, that's not his point. He's saying, Peter, Peter, I trace a sense on your part of stinginess on God's part. You think that what God gives you, He gives you because you give things up for Him. It's tit for tat. Peter, Peter, don't you understand? Yes, you have given up much for me, but don't you see God has poured more blessing on you than you could conceive, far more than you'll ever give up for him. God will never be your debtor. He is overwhelmingly generous. It was hard for the rich young ruler to get. And truth be told, sometimes it can be hard for Christians to get for you and for me to get. And so Jesus finishes. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So as we close, two questions for us this morning. Have, have you come to terms with the holiness of God? I ask this because we, we live in a world that, that doesn't. Many of you have traveled or seen pictures, or you can pull them up on the web. These idols, these images that tribes the world over throughout history have made, crafting deities, objects of worship. And we, we stand up, we're sophisticated, we're 21st century Westerners. We would never do such a thing. Of course we do. We just have our own way. And so people craft a God who accepts them no matter what. He'll never make any demands on me. He'll never call me to say I'm sorry, to repent, to ask him for forgiveness. He leaves me free to think and live as I want. He'll, he'll never hold me accountable for anything that I do. And that's not the God of heaven and earth. That's not popular. But the character of God was never settled by a popularity contest. God is holy, unchangeably so. And none of us can come to him unless we understand that he is holy. He is upright. He is not like we are as sinners. 
and his eye is too pure than to behold evil. Have you reckoned with the holiness of God? Have you reckoned with the grace of God? I'm not talking about two different gods. The God who is holy is also the God who is unbelievably gracious. He's not going to be anyone's debtor. He, he gives the kingdom of God eternal life freely, without price. And if you're a Christian, if you've come to God through Jesus Christ, this is a lesson that can be hard to hold on to. You know, we, we start the Christian life and it's, it's wonderful. Everything is new. And, and the, the first experience of the forgiveness of sins and the newness of life and Christian fellowship, it's, it carries us off the ground. It's so wonderful. And, and, then, and then we settle in and the years roll on. And we start to realize this is going to cost me something. Jesus is going to have me give up things, precious things, even good things, things I don't want to let go of, but he takes them from me. And I don't always understand why. And it's then your Savior says, you remember how gracious your God is. He loves you. He is not trying to destroy you. He's trying to draw you close to him, to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. And there is blessing upon blessing you cannot conceive. So how about you? Have you reckoned with the holiness of God? Have you reckoned with the grace of God? How, how do we put these together? How can you be holy? How can you be gracious? And the answer is just a few chapters away. You'll see it nowhere more clearly than on that cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ, the only righteous man who ever walked the face of the earth, is hanging accursed of God on a tree. The wrath of God poured out upon him, not for anything he's done, but for his people, whom Jesus loved. And in love, he went to the cross. And in love, the Father gave him up for us all. And out of that mangled form flows the rivers of the grace of God, the grace of the God who is just and the justifier of him who has faith in Jesus Christ. And the Savior knows these can be hard things to keep together why he's given us this table because what we've heard he wants us now to see not that we would be cast away we would be drawn near we would come to the God who invites us we would tremble in his presence and have blessing poured upon our head through the living Savior Jesus Christ let's pray our God and Father, how we praise you. How the Savior knows our hearts better than we know them. 
how tenderly, how firmly, how wisely He deals with us, unsettling us, that we would stand on the only sure foundation there is, your love for sinners in Him. Help us to stand there and nowhere else. And may that love carry us in its tide into eternity, into the very arms of our loving Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask this in his name. Amen.